After every service we head back. Back to what's waiting for us out there. It can be scary. Out there is filled with so many unknowns. But as Christ followers, we are called to leave here and go out there. To go live life on a mission. God doesn't send everyone to Africa or Russia or China, but he sends us all to be his light. In our schools. At our coffee shops. In our workplaces. On the sidelines of our kids' sports teams. And everywhere in between. Some say sharing the good news of Jesus is best left to the experts. Fortunately, God doesn't leave all of that joy to the experts. Most of the time, he calls us. Ordinary people. Just like you. And just like me. He is calling us to reach out there with servant hands and open hearts. To engage out there with compassionate words and humble truth. To speak out there with tender boldness. He is calling us from here to go. To get get out out there. there. take the offering. God, thanks so much for this chance to gather this morning, uh, to lift you up with song, uh, to remember you through uh, the the observance of the Last Supper, uh, to now open your word, God, and to hear you speak to us through it. Uh, I pray that you would challenge us, uh, that what needs to be changed in us would be changed, that we would surrender to you uh, as uh, you seek to make disciples through us here and around the world. Uh, Bless this offering and the gifts and the giver alike. Uh, Use both for your glory, and uh, get me out of the way. Speak in my place. Say the things you want to say in this time to this group, and I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We uh, started last week in the book of Acts, and we'll be here all summer, uh, basically discussing uh, what we've come to know in the Bible as the four missionary journeys of Paul. It's really three actual missionary journeys, and then the fourth one, he's taken captive and uh, heads to Rome, but has lots of adventures on the way and gets to share the gospel, even as a prisoner Uh, But uh, these four missionary journeys are kind of the establishing of the early church in the first century. It's how the the gospel got from Jerusalem to the rest of the Mediterranean region. And uh, most of the back of your Bibles details the churches or the regions that received or uh, church plant areas uh, through Paul and his friends here in these four missionary journeys. When we think about the church, that's what I want us to think about. I don't want us to think about the church as a place. It's nice that we're getting paint on our buildings. I hope you like it. Uh, If you don't, that's too late. We already painted it that color. Get used to it. Um, But I don't want you to think of our church as these buildings that we sit in. The church is us, right? And the church, even more than being us, a body of believers, is a mission. We are a, a group of people saved by the grace of God through Jesus Christ, called to a mission. And the mission is to see everybody in the world hear the gospel and prayerfully to see uh, all of them respond to the gospel. may not work out that way, but that's, that's our mission, to share the hope of Christ with the world that desperately needs it. If you think about life, it's just a series of missions. Like you woke up this morning at whatever time you set to wake up, uh, hopefully, uh, some of you maybe slept in. Anybody a chronic buzzer uh, or, a, or a, what is that thing? A snooze, a snooze alarm hitter. Anybody got the snooze? You got it just in reach, and it's like, bam, and you've got it down to a science. But, but anyway, it, whenever you woke up, the mission began. It was called Sunday. 
And the mission started with you getting cleaned up, hopefully. Maybe not. But, uh, you know, getting in your car, getting here. Uh, you're going to have several missions this week. Uh, many of you will have the mission of going to work every day. God bless you uh, as you do that. Others will wake up to children who are home from school and uh, ready to tear the house apart. God bless you uh, as you endeavor in that. But, but even going to the grocery store, that's a mission. And that's a mission that can kind of change a text message to text message is my experience. Anybody had that? My family doesn't write it down anymore. They just hit me with texts as I'm in the grocery store. I'll be in the line, and it'll be like, bing, don't forget milk. Oh, you got to run out and get it. But it's mission to mission. That's, that's life. It's just a series of missions, right? And, uh, and we as a church are on our mission. We uh, quantify it around here uh, this way. We say that we exist to surrender to God, uh, something that we uh, pound uh, every week that we're together here from the word that we are to submit and to surrender and to align ourselves with the character of God. But then the purpose of that is for us to be a part of this mission. We surrender to God so that he can make disciples through us here and around the world. That's the end game. That's the point. If you've wondered why you're trying to deepen yourself in Christ, it's not just so that you can look in the mirror and be like, nice. It's not so that you can just feel better about yourself spiritually, okay? The end game of us growing in our faith in Jesus Christ is that we'll be used mightily by him in this mission that he's given us. My heart is that our church will grow, not because other churches shrink. Does everybody get the difference? I don't want to like swap sheets, uh, swap sheep is what I meant to say there. That's a, wow, we shouldn't even go there. Anyway, uh, that could get bad, right? But I don't want to just swap sheep with other churches. Uh, if, if you're here from another church, that's fine. But, but Christians shouldn't treat church like a mall. You shouldn't just go from store to store because the pants fit better here or whatever, okay? Uh, you, you, should, you should find your spot and stay there and stick it out. Uh, and, and then, you know, the way a church should grow is that people who don't know Jesus meet the people who do know Jesus, and then they find Jesus, and then they hang out with us and join us in the mission. That's how it's supposed to work. And may we never be a church. Everybody look at me. I'm not all about a holy huddle. I'm not all about us having a bunch of Christians in here, staying safe from the bad voodoo taboo outside world and just kind of holding on till the, till the rapture, all right? I want us to be a, 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 a SEAL team of missionaries. Set, oh, that's kind of, somebody like, yeah, okay, I'm in, yeah. Do I get a gun? That's, that sounds great. Because I will get you some converts, Mark, if you arm me. Settle down there, Rambo. But, uh, but you get my point? I don't want us just to kind of sit this thing out and wait for Jesus to come back. I want us to be on mission. Every one of us. And some of you are like, yeah, I hope you get into that, Mark. I hope you really find some people to reach the Christ. No, it's all of us. It's not just the paid Christians. It's all the Christians. We're all on mission. All right. I can start preaching here. Hang on. So we, uh, we started last week in this first missionary journey that uh, Paul and his friend Barnabas uh, go on. They, they went last week to a place called Cyprus. It's an island in the Mediterranean. They took off, if you were here last week, they took off uh, from a place on the mainland, uh, you know, near Israel called uh, Antioch. And uh, their church in Antioch sent them out. And uh, we want to be a church that sends people out on a regular basis uh, to see people come to Christ. Uh, they're going to go today uh, after their time in Cyprus where they saw this Roman governor named Sergius Paulus converted to the faith. Uh, they're going to sense the calling of God 
to go to another place. And that, you're just going to see that in the stories that we're going to be going through here in the book of Acts. It's just, and God told them to go here, and God told them to go here, and they worked their way over this way. And they're just going to go all kinds of places at the behest of the Holy Spirit. And everywhere they go, Paul and his friends, whoever they happen to be at the time, are going to be sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. So uh, let's watch them today as they travel up to a region called Galatia. And we're going to learn a couple of things uh, about this whole getting out there deal. First of all, getting out there requires flexibility. I'm not talking yoga, you know, like I'm not talking downward facing dog here or whatever. But I'm talking you've got to be ready to change because here's the one thing I know about life in general, but definitely what I know about the mission is that the only thing that doesn't change is that things change. All right? It's just going to be different. You're going to have different leaders. You're going to have different locales. You're going to have different teammates in this process of your going. It's just the nature of humanity. We're going to move and be in other places and be in other circumstances and situations in life. But the mission, everybody look at me and hear this, the mission remains the same wherever you go. Once you find Jesus, you got uh, this, this one central mission in following Jesus, and that's to be like him and to share him with everybody that God gives you the grace to share his good news with. No matter where you go, no matter where you go to church, no matter who you're hanging out with, that's the mission. These first couple of verses don't seem like much if you're reading them, but uh, we learn from them that sometimes the lead changes. Sometimes the leaders in your mission life change. Look what it says. <clears throat> it says, now Paul and his companion set sail from Paphos. It's just a northern port there on the island of Cyprus. And they came to a, a, a port named Perga in a region called Pamphylia. Is everybody getting all this? You can actually Google map all this stuff. It's in there. And it, no, it's not really. Uh, but this is, this, is, this is really interesting. And you might not notice this if you haven't studied the book of Acts. But up until this point, it's always been guys like Barnabas or Peter. They've been the ones who got the lead when it came to the stories told about the early church. This is the first time that Paul gets first billing. It doesn't even mention Barnabas. Did you see that? It says Paul and who? Some other dudes. I mean, Barnabas was an was a early church player. I mean, he, he was an early adapter, and he was famous, especially in the Jerusalem church. But now in the, in the story that Luke tells us in the book of Acts, he, he doesn't even bear a mention. You know what the hardest instrument in the orchestra to play is? Anybody know? Second fiddle. That's the hardest instrument in the orchestra to play. You know why? Because you're probably just as good as first violin. You're probably just as talented as the person who gets all the solos. But you don't get any. And you just stay in your chair. And you just play along the accompaniment as this dude goes off and shreds as the first violinist. Now, not everybody can stand on this stage. Some of you are like, I could do that better. You probably could. All right, I'm not denying the fact that uh, there's probably better preachers even in this room than I am. But you're not up here. God's told me to be. All right? And some of us in the church, well, I, I shouldn't say that. It's, it's already changed uh, by the grace of God. There's no more jealousy or uh, rivalry in the church. No leaders ever, you know, get, uh, you know, impertinent and they're dealing with other leaders. We're living in an age of, you know, perfection in this area where leaders, is everybody picking up my sarcasm? Yeah. Uh, it's still a huge problem in the church uh, that, that uh, leaders, especially as they age, let me, let me just cover this real quick. Leaders can hold on too long. Somebody like, I'm older. Is he talking to me? Maybe not, but maybe. Like, like, like let's, I'll, I'll leave you out of it. I'll talk about me. You know what my conviction uh, is as I turn, I'm going to turn 47 uh, pretty soon, which isn't old. It's older than some of you, uh, but uh, it's not old, old. Uh, I'm going to keep going. Anyway, uh, <laughs> 
<clears throat> but I'm closer to being finished uh, retirement, you know, whatever, than I've ever been. And I'm going to get closer every day that I'm alive. Here's my deal. If God would allow, I will say this out loud, mark the tape. If God would allow, I would love to finish my run here at Bay Life Church as your pastor. Retire from here and uh, just glorify God with you as long as God uh, would allow until uh, I work my last. Okay? Well, Christians, by the way, never retire, but you can stop working for pay. All right? So if, if that would happen, praise God. I would love that. I don't know if that's going to happen, but that, that just, that's truly my heart. But here's the deal. If there's ever someone that God raises up that's more effective at doing this and reaching our community here, I want you to know I'll step down. Hopefully I'll have a place here to serve somehow. But if there's someone that can do this better than me, if there's someone that God has called over me, I want to be a good second fiddle. I want to be the guy who's ready to stand aside for God's will. I don't ever want this, and you should never be in a church, by the way, where the leadership is about the leadership, where the leadership is about holding on to what they have. Uh, you ever gone by these smaller churches that kind of die? I'm not saying in every situation, but I'm saying probably in most of the situations, the churches that become irrelevant and die probably had a leadership issue. There was probably someone at the helm who didn't want to let go, who didn't want to change, who didn't want to let someone else breathe life into that situation. I'm not saying, I'm not condemning everybody that way, but I'm saying that's, that's, that's pandemic in the church today. And so I'm grateful to see Luke highlighting the fact that Barnabas, who, you know, had his issues, we're going to see the next point, that he had some issues with Paul and, uh, you know, leadership can kind of divide. But, uh, but at least in, in, in the stories that unfold here in the, in the first missionary journey, he willingly, it seems, willingly says, hey, Paul, take the lead. And that's how it should work. Everybody with me? Second thing is this. Sometimes the team changes. Sometimes the team changes. Look what it says there in the second part of uh, verse 13. It says, um, uh, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. If you were hearing it last week, there was three guys who got sent uh, from Antioch uh, to Cyprus. It was Paul and Barnabas. And then Barnabas's cousin uh, was this guy named John, who was also known as Mark and who wrote the gospel of Mark in your Bible. All right. And so he's hanging out with these guys, kind of like maybe even their intern. We could even call it that. They, they, they were mentoring John uh, as a member of their church. And uh, he's hanging out with them. And it comes time to leave Cyprus, which, by the way, was kind of Key West. Nice resort area, all right? Uh, if there was going to be an easygoing missionary experience, it, it'd be like us, you know, taking a missionary trip to the Bahamas. I'm not saying there's not need in the Bahamas, but the off day is going to be spectacular. You know what I'm talking about? So I, we don't know what it is that led John to not want to go uh, with Paul and with Barnabas to this next region. My suspicion is, is that John was a good Jew, uh, and as was a problem in the early church, uh, the whole Jewish-Gentile thing wasn't settled for everybody. Again, I'm so grateful that we live in an age where uh, that's not a problem anymore, where races don't divide and where you know, none of us would ever look down on another people group because of who they were. I mean, so isn't it great to live in the utopia that we live in now? Are you picking up the sarcasm again? Yeah, it's still a problem today, but for different reasons. And back in those days, the Jews were eh, a little reticent, uh, if you keep reading and keep coming to church this summer, you'll find out. They were a little reticent to accept the Gentiles. And that maybe was what kept John from wanting to go to Galatia, where it's pretty Gentile. Uh, but whatever the case was, he taps out. He was done. Everybody look at me. 
Did you know that sometimes you're going to be linking arms with brothers and sisters in the church and they're going to tap out? Can you think of them? Maybe you were one of them. Maybe you took a little break from the faith and tried some other things and did some other stuff. Uh, It's an unfortunate reality of the church that people pause in their pursuit of Christ. Uh, Here's here's the, the, the thing that we have to be aware of when that happens. Because they pause, we don't. Or, or just because they pause, we don't stop ourselves. This, this mission is not linked solely to the people who are on mission with us. All right? If a pastor falls, guess what? You're still a Christian. Keep sharing the gospel. If, if a friend of yours goes through a hard time and turns their back on Jesus and they're no longer a prayer support to you or an encouragement to you, guess what? You keep going and you provide the gospel because it's your mission, not just our mission. Are you with me? I was a youth pastor in uh, North Dallas. We had an opportunity to take a team of students uh, after their senior year of uh, high school, junior and senior year of high school, uh, to a, just a fabulous mission opportunity in China. Uh, the, the month before we went to China, uh, it was back in 1999, and there was a conflict in uh, uh, Western Europe, Eastern Europe, sorry, and uh, like Sarajevo and Yugoslavian contract, conflict. Uh, the, the U.S. military sent a missile that uh, blew up the Chinese embassy in this one country. I don't know if you remember that, but you can Google it. It actually happened. And so uh, uh, justly, understandably, the uh, parents of the kids who were going to China with us were like, hey, I don't know if we want our American kids coming off a plane in Beijing, you know, a month after we've blown up their their embassy. Are they just going to be taken into captivity and, you know, taken to work camps for the rest of their lives? It doesn't seem like a great idea. Now we were assured by all the state departments that it was totally safe to travel. Uh, but these parents uh, were a little less sure. So we had a meeting. Had all the kids and their parents come together. And uh, one by one, parents indicated to us that my child will not be going. So a, a group that was about 20, 25 people was now half that. And a lot of the kids who had been preparing for six months to go on this trip with their friends were disillusioned. Why? Because they were high schoolers and we move in packs as a high schooler, right? Uh, but they, they, they're just like, hey, if, if it's not safe for them, maybe it's not safe for me. And all kinds of doubts started to spring up in these, these uh, students' minds, even though their parents were like, yeah, we sense God saying go. So I had to have this meeting. Hey, everybody listen to me. If God is for us, who can be against us? I tell them all the time, and I'll tell you all the time, the safest place for you to be in life is in the center of God's will. Wherever it leads you, Whatever peril it puts you in, the safest place for you to be, the rightest place for you to be is in the center of God's will. We went and had an awesome time uh, beyond some graffiti that we couldn't read because it was in Chinese. Uh, uh, there wasn't even any, uh, uh, you know, persecution. People open-heartedly accepted us, and we got to uh, plant seeds for the gospel all over the place in those three weeks. But what if we had quit because everybody else had? What if we had stopped? Well, that's not how it's supposed to work, and gratefully... We have 2,000 years of history where people kept going. My uh, first pastor uh, that was my boss in central Illinois was a guy named Dr. Bob McKay. Uh, He had a favorite song. Anybody grow up in that church where the pastor, if it was his decision to decide what we're going to sing at the end of the service, he was going to sing the same one over and over again. When I grew up in the Angry Baptist Church, it was just as I am. I could sing that song in Spanish, in French. I know that song backwards and forwards. Uh, But this guy, Dr. Bob, he loved, I have decided to follow Jesus. Anybody remember that one? And he'd always sing it kind of like half singing, half rapping. And he he was an old dude, so it was really funny. But he'd be be like all staccato with it, like, I have decided. And he'd just rock it. He just went off, right? His favorite verse in the song was, though none go with me, still I will follow. 
I mean, he would just lose it on that one. (laughs) Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. Uh, I pray that you always have a plethora. That's SAT right there. A bunch of people that go with you. But I'm here to tell you, if none go with you, still follow. No turning back. We're going to see John kind of surface here in a little bit uh, in in some uh, sermons to come. So uh, pay attention for his name to come up again. Uh, But just remember, in this getting out there thing, uh, we're going to have to be flexible. Leadership will change. Teams will change. Uh, I didn't cover this one, but locales will change. Anybody living here in Florida because you always grew up knowing you wanted to live in Tampa, Florida? Anybody here? Because, I mean, some of you were born here, and that's okay, default. But uh, but uh, most of us who live, not because we don't like it, but just, I never thought I'd live in Florida. I've lived here for 12 years. I never thought I'd be a senior pastor or a lead pastor or whatever my title is, okay? I never thought I'd do that, but I'm doing it, right? Does anybody notice that that's how kind of life turns out? It just kind of happens. You marry so-and-so, and off we go. Here we are, all right, yeah. Yeah, locales change, leaders change. Teammates change, mission doesn't. May God grant us the grace to make disciples uh, for him. Whoever, wherever, whatever, however. Now, let me just, we're going we're to have another sermon this morning. Some of you are like, well, I thought we already having one. We're, we're going to listen to one of Paul's sermons. We're going to learn this. Uh, uh, I need you to put the blank up there. Getting out there means going and telling God's story. Here we go. Getting out there means going and telling God's story. So, so we've talked about some of the travails that could come from getting out there. But now, as we see Paul kind of, Uh, start teaching in this synagogue here in the region of Galatia, we're going to see the third sermon unfold in the book of Acts. The first one was by Peter in chapter 2. He comes out of the upper room, uh, and you can read all this in the Bible, Uh, but he uh, he basically comes into the streets of Jerusalem. They're speaking all these different languages, and people are like, wow, this guy knows my my native tongue, and and he he just, he goes off. 3,000 people come to know Jesus that day. Pretty good day. Pretty good sermon. Would you agree? Okay, so that was, that was a really great sermon. There's a second sermon in chapter 8 of uh, Acts. It's by this guy named Stephen, and he stands up, and th- that one doesn't end as well. He stands up and tells uh, everybody who's listening to him that uh, you, you, the Jews, have, have killed your Messiah. Way to go. And the Jews take exception with that, and they pick up a bunch of heavy rocks like cinder blocks, and they throw them at Stephen until he's dead. Let's not do that today. Is everybody with me on that? Is that okay? But that's how the second sermon in Acts unfolds. Uh, Paul gets to preach the third one, and it's here in chapter 13. And uh, what we're going to see is he's just going to tell the story. He's in the synagogue. He's going to tell the Jews their own story. Everybody in the, in, the, in the synagogue or the Jewish church at the time is just going, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, because he's just, they, he's preaching to the choir. They know what he's talking about. And this is what he says. After the reading from the Law and the Prophets, that's how a synagogue service would happen. They would take a reading from uh, the Pentateuch. They would take a reading from the Prophets. Uh, that they had in their scrolls. Uh, the rulers of the synagogue, the leaders, the pastors, or whatever you want to call them, sent a message to them. I don't know if it was by text or maybe a post-it. I don't know how it got to them. Uh, but they said, brothers, speaking of Paul and Barnabas, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, go ahead and say it. This was common. Uh, if you were new in a church or in a synagogue, it was usually a pretty small space. Like the synagogue I went to in Capernaum was this section of people right here. They had bleachers on the walls, so you would kind of sit in the round and it was more discussion-type stuff. They weren't huge churches like maybe we're used to today. And so uh, the, the, the preacher or whatever would say his piece, but then they would just open it up for discussion, like a life group, okay? And so they turned to Paul and Barnabas. Anybody grow up in that church where if you were new, everybody knew that you were new? Because it was so small, it's like everybody else knows everybody else, but you're, you're different. 
Uh, we used to have, uh, have to stand up in churches and say our names. Anybody grow up in that church? That was always fun. Hey, great to be here. I always wanted dad to change our names. You know, like, uh, I'm uh, Roger Staubach, and uh, he'd never do it, though. Anyway, um, <laughs> that's not related to anything. Let's keep talking. <laughs> Paul and Barnabas were sticking out, and they said, hey, you want to say anything? You guys are new. You got, got anything to say? And Paul says, well, now that you mention it, I do have some things to say. He stands up and uh, motioning with his hands. I don't know if it was like everybody quiet down or everybody come in, whatever. He says, men of Israel and you who fear God. Men of Israel are who? The Jews, right? Who's those who fear God? The Gentiles, maybe the, 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 the proselytes who had come later to the Jewish faith. He says, it's basically all y'all. That's what he just said here. All y'all, listen up. He says, verse 17, the God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers, and he made the people great. Note the verbs here. Who's doing all this stuff? The God of Israel. He chose, he made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. I thought Moses led them out of it. No, that was God. Keep going. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. Verse 18. Yeah, he did put up with them in the wilderness. Israel was just totally off the rails for those 40 years that they wandered around, stayed at KOAs. After they destroyed uh, seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as inheritance. Now, if you're not following this, he's basically starting uh, with the, the fathers, which are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's moving then to the story of Israel and Egypt, which happened at the end of the book of Genesis. They all migrate to Egypt, the, the descendants of Israel. And uh, they grow up there. There's 400 years that they're there. There's uh, slavery. And then uh, Moses comes down and says, let my people go. And Pharaoh eventually does. There's 40 years in the wilderness. There's 10 years of conquest. Uh, and it says uh, that they defeated seven nations. And all this took about 450 years. Did you get that? 40 plus 400 plus 10 is 450 years. And after that, he, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. And he's just, if you're going through your Bible, you can just kind of follow this story in Acts and read through the table of contents in your Old Testament. Starts in Exodus, or Genesis, moves to Exodus. Uh, it goes then uh, to the story of Joshua, which is the conquest of the land of Israel. If it gets boring in church, read Joshua. Lots of fights in Joshua. Really cool stuff. And then it goes to Judges, which is the next book in the Bible. And that's what the early governors were of, of Israel. They're these judges, these kind of sheriffs in the wild, wild west. He goes from the judges to talking about First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings, which is the story of the, the monarchy of Israel. And Paul, so Paul's just laying out the Old Testament. And everybody in the room's like, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Know that, know that, know that. All right, what's, who's this guy? He's not saying anything new. Now he's going to get to the new stuff. It says, they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish. Uh, great name. And a, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 more years, and then he gets to where he wants to pivot. He says, and then he removed him, and he raised up David to be their king, uh, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all of my will. Now, I'm not going to have time to preach all the verses that I had in store for us today, but he's going to basically start with David or end with David, I guess, in his long story of the history of Israel. And he's going to point to the fact that the Messiah had been promised. A king would come from the line of David. And this is what he says about that king. He says in verse 23, Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior. I'd like to introduce to you, to him, his name is Jesus, as he has been promised. All right? And what 
moves forward from that is the story of, of Christ, the gospel. But it, what, how does he set it up? He sets it up uh, with the sovereignty of God. Does everybody see the sovereignty on, of God uh, on display there in the story of Israel? God appointed the fathers. God uh, led them out of Egypt into Egypt. God uh, put up with them while they were in the, in the desert. God did this. God did that. God does. And that's how the narrative is written down. God's got the pen. He writes the story of all of life and of your life and mine. It's a great chance for us to talk about his sovereignty. You know, a huge question in the church and in our theology, but uh, I believe that God is truly sovereign. His hand's on the wheel. I believe he's got perfect will. He's got permissive will. I don't have time to go deeply into either, uh, but I believe that he allows us to choose. But even when we choose him not, he's still steering the situation so that when we make mistakes, whether they're um, conscious or subconscious, whether we're rebellious or just foolhardy, he's kind of making things. It's like a, it's like a parent, you know, with a two-year-old who's just like, <laughs> you ever seen a two-year-old? They're, like, they can hardly hold up their head. They don't know what they're doing. They're just kind of, and, and the parents kind of just kind of ping-ponging them through the malls. Anybody seen this, this family going through the mall? Here you go. No, over here. You're, that's, that's God and his sovereignty. He's like a loving, well, he is a loving father who guides us in life. He, he guided the story of Israel right up to the point where he gets to introduce Jesus. His, his point all along was to bring this Messiah who would die for the salvation of the entire world, not just the Jews, but us, the Gentiles. Everybody wave if you're a Gentile. Yeah, he died for us, and he wrote the story. You know, God's sovereignty shows up in your life and mine all the time. And, and you know what we say usually when it happens? That was lucky. That was a coincidence. Isn't that crazy? Have ever said these things? I can't believe that happened. Well, theologically speaking, we should be like, God, oh, God did that. I went, I went golfing with some guys uh, a, a couple weeks ago. Uh, we were up in the woods of North Georgia, and uh, one of my friends, uh, Mike, forgot his bag. And, uh, uh, you know, Mike's, well, I'm the same way. Is anybody else this way? If you forget your wallet or your keys or your phone, you, I just can't rest. i got to go back to wherever they are, find them, make sure they're okay, put them in my pockets, and then I can go on with life. Well, his keys were in there and some other things that were really important. Uh, snacks for the day. I mean, come on, you got to have your snacks. So uh, uh, we, we were driving down this mountain that we were staying on, and he's just, you know, we're looking through the car, rifling through all the truck seats, and making sure that it wasn't in there. He's trying to go back in his mind, where'd I leave it, where'd I leave it? And then he thought, oh, wait a minute. Our friends who were driving in another truck, couldn't all fit in one. Our friends, he'd, he'd, he had put something in the back of their tailgate, uh, some garbage that we needed to throw out. And so maybe I set it down when I put the garbage in there. So he says, you know what? Before we get on the highway, let's just stop the, the vehicles and I'll just go back there and look. Well, we stopped the vehicles and he runs to the back of that truck. And in his hurry to get going because we were late, he had forgotten to put the tailgate up on this pickup truck with the contents of all the guys in that truck's, you know, golf stuff and, and, and other things wide open just as we were about to get on a major highway. Okay, now I'm not going to like overplay this and, you know, the, the golf clubs can be replaced and all that stuff. But hey, if you're driving along at a high speed in traffic with other cars and stuff starts flying out the back of your tailgate, there's a great chance that people in, in behind you uh, are going to swerve and hit other cars and th there could be a catastrophe, right? And so uh, just to kind of finish the story, his bag wasn't there. It was on the table where he had left it in the cabin. <laughs> but that one instance 
was this opportunity for this tailgate before we got on a highway that would be at a high speed for us to take this tailgate and shut it up. And he walks back to the car and he's, you know, understandably disappointed they didn't find his bag. But I'm sitting there being like, does everybody see what just happened? Does everybody understand what just happened here? God foresaw that we would forget to put the tailgate up. And so I believe that he foresaw to keep that bag on the kitchen table so that the guy who would be most uh, upset about not having his stuff would think about it. And we would pull over just as we were about to get on a highway and just so happen, notice that the tailgate was down and pop that sucker back up, avoiding some catastrophe. Is everybody with me on this? Now, some of us, we would just say, wow, that was cool. That was lucky. That was God because that's how he rolls. Now, this brings up questions like, well, what about the bad stuff? Come back to another sermon. We'll talk about that. But you've got to understand, as Paul is explaining to this synagogue, God's had a plan. He's been working it throughout our history. And he's brought about his, his, his culmination, the apex of his story in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. This is what it says next, and I'll just finish with this. It says, before his coming, uh, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance. Which John is he talking about here? There's lots of Johns in the Bible, but who's this one? The baptizer, John, John E.B., John the Baptist. Um, and uh, John, he's, he's referring to what was probably known uh, by Jews in this synagogue that, you know, at the time of Christ and his emergence, this guy, John the Baptist, who'd become famous, uh, was baptizing people in preparation for his arrival. Verse 25, uh, but it says, as John was finishing his course... Uh, He said, what do you suppose that I am? I am not he. I'm not the Messiah. He was just out there getting people ready for him. But he says, I'm not the dude. Because people kept saying, you've got to be the dude. You speak with such power. You're so unique. You live in the woods. You eat bugs. You've got to be. Read the story of John the Baptist in the book of John. But he says, no, behold, after me, one is coming. This is actually written in in the first chapter of John. The sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. He goes on and he says, brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation for those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets which are read every Sabbath. They fulfilled them by condemning him. Here's what he's saying. Hey, guys, God set this whole thing up. In fact, he even allowed people in our own synagogues, people in our own people, faith, uh, to, to not understand that Jesus was the Messiah so that they would fulfill the prophecies that had been said about him that he would be bruised for our iniquities. By his stripes would be healed. He had to die. And so he even allowed our own people to crucify their own Messiah. Uh, it says, though, uh, verse 28, uh, though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. Is everybody up to date now? We're at Easter. And he, he says, And when they had carried out all that was written of him, again, fulfilling all that the prophets wrote, they took him down from the tree and they laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days, this is my favorite part so far in the story, for many days he appeared to those. He's risen from the dead. He's appearing to those who had come up with him from Galilee. All his homeboys from Galilee. Jesus appears to them and he says, Fellas, it's me. Remember that first appearance? He says, look at, look at my wounds. And Thomas says, until I see the wounds, I'm not going to believe it. And so he, he shows up again. And he says, yo, Tom, it's me. He appears to them in Jerusalem. And, and they are now, look, this is in the present tense. Paul's saying this in Acts. He says, they are now his witnesses to the people. What Paul is saying is, that, like, listen, if you want to get on a boat 
you could sail to Jerusalem and you can talk to the people who hung out with Jesus after he died. They're there. Now, maybe one or two people, maybe a group of 12, but it tells us, I'm going to go right now to the, the first Corinthians passage and we'll close with this. It says, Paul says this later in another letter that he wrote to his friends in Corinth. He says, I delivered to you when I preached the gospel to you uh, of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, uh, and that he appeared to Cephas, who's Peter, all right? And to the 12, the rest of the disciples in those stories I just related to you. Then he appeared to more than how many? 500 other brothers at one time. That, that, that doesn't mean that's just 500. He went to a gathering apparently where 500 people were and he hung out with them in those 40 days after his resurrection from the grave. So those 500 people were eyewitnesses. Listen, uh, if, if you get on Facebook and you start spreading a rumor or a lie and you can get some people to kind of, you know, glom onto that, great. But if you're going eyewitnesses, like people who have to say, I was there, I saw him, and it, it's extended past like 10, 15, 20 people, that's a hard lie to perpetrate, okay? 500 people saw him at one time, uh, most of whom he says are still alive, even as he's writing the people in Corinth. He's like, listen, go ask them. Don't take my word for it. Ask them. Some have fallen asleep. There's, some have died, but most of them are alive. He says, and this is my favorite part, then he appeared to who? James. Anybody know who James is? This is why he gets special billing in this story. Cephas, because he was the leader of the early church, uh, 500 people, those are just, he doesn't name all of them, but then he says, and he appeared to James. James was the brother, the half-brother of Jesus uh, growing up. He wrote the book of James in your Bible. He was an early leader in the, in the, in the church in Jerusalem. And uh, what, what Paul's saying is, listen, the dude's own brother, who, and I've said this to you before, but has anybody got a brother or sister in here? If someone told you that they were the son or daughter of God, that they were the Messiah come to save, that they had lived a, you know, they, they've come to live a perfect life so they could die on behalf of all mankind, how many of you would believe that your sister or brother was the son or daughter of God? Good. Because they're not. But James, even as he had gone to get Jesus during the time of his ministry and said, hey man, you, you need to see a shrink. You're getting a little crazy out here. Remember that story? Mary and his brother, and Jesus' brothers came to get him. And Jesus says, hey, man, unless you hate your mother and father, you know, you can't really follow me. It's, it's going to cost, what Jesus was saying, it's going to cost you. People are going to think you're crazy if you follow me. But here's what happened. James was an early skeptic, an early doubter, an early, hey, maybe you should get some help, brother. He becomes, after seeing Christ, in his resurrection form, he becomes a leader in his church. He's a witness. Um, sharing your faith with people. There's lots of different methods. We talk about the, the bridge method. We talk about the Romans road. There's all these different ways. Like, like Paul, he's in the synagogue and he's trying to share Jesus. And he's using the history of Israel with a bunch of Jews who would know that. He's, he's just basically building his case from what these people already agreed to. It's a great way to share the gospel. And, and I, tr I pray that as you go through your life groups and as we go through our preaching here, we'll give you good tools in sharing the gospel. But you know what the best tool in sharing the gospel is, I believe? It's your own story. You know what Paul says next, and I'll close with this. Paul says this next in, in verse 9. He says this, or verse 8. He says, last of all, as to one untimely born. Paul says, I wish I'd been there. I wish I'd been hanging out in Jerusalem. I wish I'd been one of the 12, but it wasn't my timing. But he says, listen, he also appeared to me. 
I've met Jesus. I've had my experience with Christ. And that's what I told you, Corinthians, when I came and hung out with you. I told you about my personal experience with Christ. You know, if you're sitting here and you're a Christian, uh, you made a decision of, to trust Jesus. I don't know what the circumstances were, circumstances were around that, if it was your parents uh, you know, leading you as a young person, if it was, it was, if it was a, you know, a late-life conversion where you just had gone completely into the depths and you needed to be pulled out and, and Jesus was the answer, or anything in between. Listen, if you've met Jesus and he's changed your life, that's the most powerful story that you can tell to someone who doesn't yet know him. Because they can theologically disagree with you and rationally, you know, question all of your claims. But they can't come to you and say that what you've experienced isn't what you've experienced. I shared my faith with my buddy Brad in college. And uh, uh, I did a horrible job of it. We went out bowling one night. Uh, I had been praying and praying and praying that I'd have an opportunity to, to, to put some Jesus in there, right? And uh, I had I'd chicken out. Every chance I'd had that night we were bowling, I chickened out and... And finally, he was about to get out of my car and go into his house, and I grabbed his arm like I was going to ask him out or something, right? And he kind of looked at me like, whoa, we don't have a friendship like that. And uh, I said, no, listen, i gotta, I got to tell you something. And I launched into the most nervous, rattled, confusing presentation of the gospel ever given. I'm confident that at the end of this, he might have turned Buddhist. I mean, it was, it was just poorly crafted, right? I messed up all the verses, and I, I, I didn't make sense, and I rambled kind of like I do when I preach. Uh, but, but then I said, listen, scratch all that. I'm just going to tell you. You know me. And he did. A, a summer before, just so you know, Brad and I had indulged in many of the worldly things that college students indulge in, okay, which was why I was so nervous. I'm like, he's not going to believe this. He knows me from, you know, me. <laughs> uh, uh, so I said, just listen, hey man, I know it's, it's, it's only been a year since we did all the things that we did and you haven't been around me that much to, to really see all this, but I, I can guarantee you I'm changed and here's why. This Jesus that I grew up going to church for and all this stuff, uh, he became real to me last year in college and he's changed my life. And I just tried to deal to, detail for him, you know, the impact that Christ had made in my life. And, uh, and I said, and that's what I want to tell you. Well, he said, thanks, shut the door, nothing happened. And I was like, no, come on. I mean, I blew it. Uh, A few months later, he calls me up to have some lunch. And we sat down to lunch, and we're starting to eat Godfather's pizza. Whoa. But uh, he says to me, he says, hey, remember that night we went bowling? And I was like, yeah. He says, well, remember you told me, you know, about Jesus and then what he's done in your life? And I said, yeah. And he says, well, I got some questions for the sake of time, over time. Uh, Brad finally came to save him faith in Jesus Christ. He's a leader in his church. Uh, today, he's going to seminary. Uh, uh, I saw a guy who didn't have a whole lot to do with God or Jesus or anything like that be changed by the grace of God uh, and the truth of God, not so much through my you know, slick presentation of the gospel, but just through what Jesus had done in me. And so that's what I share with you. May all of us be convinced that we're all on the mission no matter what the circumstances are, who's leading it, where we are, who's on our team, may we stay with the mission. May we remember uh, that God has given us his story. And his story is that he loved the world so much that even though the world rebelled against him, he sent his son Jesus to die for him. And then may we, as we tell his story, inject our story so that people can know that Jesus made a difference in my life 
and see Jesus through what he's done for us. Can I pray for us? God, thanks so much for your grace and the chance to, to celebrate it this morning and talk about it as Paul shares uh, from place to place and uh, with person to person. We see the impact of your gospel move forward in the book of Acts. Lord, I pray for that same Holy Spirit movement to happen here in Brandon, through this church and all the churches that profess your name. May we, God, be used of you on this message, mission to spread your message to a, a world that desperately needs good news. Uh, use each of us, God. Lead us even now to the people that you would have us share with uh, in the coming year. Uh, lead us to those folks. Open up doors so that we can uh, um, you know, step in and, and share with them uh, the way that you've changed our lives. And bring a harvest, God, here and around the world as we make disciples by your power and through your strength. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Everybody say hi to Mel. Mel's going to tell us a little bit about missions as we get ready for some carbs. Mel, uh, she is our events coordinator, does a whole bunch of other stuff around here. Uh, but she, uh, her focus is more local. Last week we talked about global. Tell us some of the ways that we can get involved locally around here through our church. Good morning. Today's mission party is brought to, or after party is brought to you by the missions department. Um, we hear a lot of questions how can I get involved? What can I do? I can't take time off from work. I can't go on a mission trip. So we've made a flyer for you. It's in the foyer and behind the black curtains by the carbs. And it's, it pretty much lays out what we can do here locally in the community. Whether it's feeding the hungry, whether it's working with foster children, um, our migrant initiative, there's things that you can do. And so check out this flyer. It's um, very self-explanatory. But if you have any questions, I have volunteers out in the foyer that would love to speak to you. Awesome. And I know we got a special opportunity for people to get involved in in a tangible way today. Why don't you tell them about it? All right. Today, we're doing a Soul to Soul, and it's an initiative to put shoes on elementary age school students um, in Hillsborough County. Our goal for Bay Life is that we would raise 500 pairs of shoes. Awesome. How do they do that? Um, these vouchers are also in the back of the sanctuary and also at guest services. They're $20, and so we're just asking that you would purchase um, the shoes for kids. Great. And if God leads you to do that, awesome. Everybody clear? Everybody ready for some carbs? Enjoy them together. God bless you as you go. I'll be in the corner if you want to talk. Have a great week.